the big wealth that's been built in this space that has not really come from trading the squiggles. Um, I think the, you know, the HODL mentality, uh, the DACA, DACA, you know, a mentality, buy a little bit every month, put it away, come back in five to 10 years. I think that's the way to build wealth. And so if you're saying, do I think we're going to go back down to the 20,000, 18,000 lows of Bitcoin? I don't see it at all. Well, joining us on Speak Up is a repeat guest due to popular demand, Tapiero. It's Dan Tapiero. Uh, Dan Tapiero on tap. Okay, so I want to get right into it with you. Uh, one month ago, you and I were talking about the early stage approval of the Bitcoin ETF. We are a month into it, a little bit more than a month. How do you feel it's going, Dan? And, and what what's your insight? What what can you provide our viewers and listeners? Well, I mean, I think it's, um, we see by the market response, it's been a fantastic uh, response. I mean, there's been a lot of shifting, as you would expect, from grayscale, uh, obviously because the fee difference is enormous. But I, look, Americans like to hold their assets in their equity accounts. And, you know, I think many people, especially older uh, investors, who like to see everything on one screen. They like to see, you know, uh, they want to have their broker report to them on how the, you know, account is doing. They want to be offered leverage as well, uh, you know, off of, their, off of their overall stock account. So I think for Americans, uh, the ETF launch is a huge deal. I think for the rest of the world, it's sort of less of a, a huge deal. Uh, you know, I, I really, I don't, uh, I don't see it influencing um, cryptocurrency owners in Asia or in Europe, let's say. Um, but one thing interesting that has happened is that apparently of the global volume, the total global volume in the past sort of four to six weeks, there's been an incremental 10% shift towards the U.S., so that the U.S., uh, during U.S. time, uh, Bitcoin and ETH have actually become more liquid. Um, and so that's been interesting, I, I think, because it's not just the volume that's happened and increased in ETF. It's in all the exchanges and all the sellers, etc. So it's been uh, a tide that is lifting all boats in a way. It's sort of surprising to me, but I just saw that data yesterday that it would be such a big switch. 10% is a lot. Um, but, um, so I think that, 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 that speaks well, right. And I think the ETH ETF is really why ETH has been going up as well, because people see the volume and now they're saying, okay, well, Larry Fink has suggested that they might be bringing the ETH ETF. So as you know, markets run ahead. You get a little bit of verbal pushback from Gary Gensler. Uh, he was on CNBC maybe five, six meeting days ago, pushing back on the notion that they're just going to rubber stamp an ETH ETF. Now, having said that, they lost the Ripple case. They lost the Grayscale case. Uh, and for viewers and listeners, uh, that ETF decision has to happen by the end of May. What do you think, Dan? Do you think it's likely that the ETF will get approved? Um, you know, I can't give you a specific month. Uh, they delayed the Bitcoin ETF 
10 years or whatever. So I, I think it will happen this year. Uh, I think it will happen this year. Um, I, I, and look, there's positive momentum, so maybe May, but I don't have any particular edge uh, in the May date, knowing whether the, there's a but so I want to I want to step back because you're one of the world's legendary macro investors, and I want you to give us a sense for the macro landscape right now. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I have two underlying questions to the macro landscape, and that's just guidance on the Federal Reserve. Where do you think they're going? And does it concern you that the top seven stocks in the S and P 500, which are now known as the Magnificent Seven? Uh, represent about 30% of the S&P 500's market okay. capitalization. So so yeah, where, what do you think of the macro? What do you think of rates? Or what do you think of S&P concentration? Yeah, so let's talk about the, the, the macro first. I think the general backdrop, especially for the cryptocurrency space, is, is positive. Um, we see inflation coming down for the rest of the year. Um, I think growth is held in better than most would expect. And I think there's a, uh, the, the market pricing of, what was it, seven Fed eases early in the year. Even I think the, the rates will come down this year. I was not expecting that. So I think that was a little bit of an extreme. Um, and also, look, the unemployment rate hasn't really moved up yet. Claims numbers are very low. So uh, the U.S., is hanging in there for now, but we know the real estate uh, sector is sort of plagued, especially commercial real estate. And one thing I'm not sure enough people are talking about is, you know, there really is weakness overseas. Um, I think the UK, Germany, and I think uh, it was Japan as well. I think all three registered official recessions in Q3, Q4. That's an official recession is two quarters back to back negative GDP, quarter of a quarter annual, seasonally adjusted annualized rate. That's how, and if you have two negative quarters um, back to back, that's the official definition of a recession. So you have three relatively large countries, right? There's probably around over 10 trillion in in, uh, GDP just there in recession. Um, You know, if you've been following some of the foreign stock markets, the Hong Kong stock market just recently made a 19 year low. I mean, imagine if you're a Hong Konger and you're looking at the NASDAQ and it's at an all-time high and your index is at a 19-year low. So I think that there are some natural speed bumps, global speed bumps out there. China's been soft as well. The real estate sector continues to be a problem there um, over leverage for many years ago. So even if the U.S. continues uh, to, to, to grow at a decent clip, um, I think there are some things offsetting that, and that's probably those are probably things also that will prevent the Fed from, let's say, surprising and raising again. Even if the U.S. were stronger, I just don't see there are enough things out there um, that are taking the edge off of the growth uh, and the inflation. Um, you know that maybe last year weren't there, right? So I think that's important for a. It's a settled backdrop. I don't want to say soft landing. We use all these terms. They mean different things to different people. Um, I do think that the, the backdrop generally is favorable for uh, the equity markets. And, um, you know, you asked me about the top seven. I just think about just take any one of those companies. They're so unique. They're non-replicatable. 
Um, and that tech in many cases is being distributed throughout the entire economy. So everybody is using it or they should be in one form or another, you know, tech from one of those seven companies. And, you know, you look at a lot of the, the, the companies in the S&P, again, real estate, banking, utilities, these are very old line, you know, I don't want to say boring businesses, but um, they're not really tapping into the potential for growth that these bigger companies uh, can tap into. So I think people, you know, again, I don't want to be a guy, you know, NVIDIA is up a lot. Um, I don't, you know, have any specific view about, you know, NVIDIA. Um, I think the AI bull market, it's still sort of early to me. Um, and I know our space, uh, the digital asset ecosystem, as I call it, it's just started to lift off in the last three, four months. Um, I mean, some of the, the, uh, some of the areas within the space have just been exploding. Solana ecosystem has come back to life. The Cosmos ecosystem is doing all sorts of interesting things. All sorts of layer twos now on Ethereum. You know, revenues for all of my businesses, as you know, we've invested into 24 uh, mid the later stage companies in the space, companies generally making, let's say, you know, over 40 to 50 million revenue. All of my, I would say all of my companies uh, in the will have their best quarter in Q1 that they've had since the last bull market. You haven't seen those numbers yet. You know, you take a look at Coinbase, they blew the roof uh, off the numbers, uh, that just those numbers that came out a few days ago. Uh, and I suspect Q1 is going to be even better. I don't have any edge there particularly, but I'm just saying I know what the volumes are doing. I know what activity in the space is. Um, I'd be surprised if they don't even have a better quarter. And that bodes well generally for the space. The activity's been picking up. And the value now in this whole digital asset ecosystem is $3 trillion. $3 trillion in the value of the currencies added, and then another trillion in the value of all the equities in the space. So it's $3 trillion sitting there. Uh, it's still incredible that Gary Gensler thinks that, you know, I don't know what he thinks, uh, that it's for fraud or money laundering or who knows what he um, So I see, I see the, you asked me about the Magnificent Seven, but I see that also connected to our world, right? To the, to the companies and businesses that we're involved with, because I really do see this digital asset ecosystem not completely disrupting banking and the old payment rails, but um, I think growing when that space is not, if you follow what I mean. So let me let yeah. me ask the contrarian question because yeah. I, I get into this a lot and I'd love to get your take on it. Uh, I'm bullish on the crypto space. I think we're in early stages. Yeah, I do believe the halving will improve Bitcoin prices, and then you and I both know that typically filters down into some of the other coins. It's already filtering into Ethereum. It's certainly filtered into Solana. But the question that uh, skeptics often ask me is, well, what is it that you're not thinking about? What is it that you are not anticipating that could potentially trigger a correction in the crypto space? And, you know, one of the factors that has me worried, which I think worries all of us that have been doing this a long time, 
is the consensus around bullishness in. So, you know, you know, if you look at the bull meters, they're yeah. over here in the 75, 80% zone. Now, again, bull meters can be right, and I am bullish, I'll state that publicly, but what it what what could go wrong? So, you know, I've been trading and involved in markets a very long time. And the one thing that people who aren't in the markets, even people who are, let's say they're in banking, let's say, but they're not active in trading and in investing in the markets, what often they miss is that markets are discounting mechanisms. And I, I think that all the bad news that you could possibly have ever dreamed up happened in 2022. And I think you had a low in Q4 22 uh, that was relatively obvious. So do I think that there's a another FTX out there? No. Um, look, I am, you know, I'm on the board. My uh, firm, we've got 12, we have board representation on 12 of our 24 companies. So I'm seeing a lot of, you know, really interesting information from the companies. And anyone that was having difficulty is now not. Um, and we were not seeing that three years ago, two years ago. I have companies that really had tremendous difficulty in the end of 22 for the first half of 23. They cut back, they streamlined, um, you know, they focused on margins and now they're really ripping. And I think that, you know, so you, you ask me, what could be the bolt out of the blue? I mean, there always can be a bolt out of the blue. I think if we had a correction in Bitcoin from 50 down to 40 or something, that would be great for 35 to 40, shake people out, go sideways for a few months. But I don't think, you know this too, that the big wealth that's been built in this space has not really come from trading the squiggles. Um, I think the, you know, the hodl mentality uh, the DACA, DACA, you know, a mentality, buy a little bit every month, put it away, come back in five to 10 years. I think that's the way to build wealth. And so if you're saying, do I think we're going to go back down to the 20,000, 18,000 lows of Bitcoin? I don't see it at all. It's completely, um, I think we're in the second inning of this bull market. So I'd be much more concerned and, and, and think that they were, problems potentially if I felt we were in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, the, the bullish consensus at 75, 80%. I mean, that's an issue, but that maybe just means you have a short-term correction. Um, we're just getting started here. And I can tell you, I can see it from the way our companies are performing, how they're responding and what they've lived through. Uh, I'll just give you an example. One of the companies, I won't give you the name, but, uh, I mean, they were there. They were threatened with uh, not bankruptcy, but they they were they were on the brink of meeting their maker. They cut back, and they survived. And now, actually, the company um, is moved into profitability in January. They were predicting that they would be profitable in December by the end of Q1, and it's happened more quickly. They did more volume in the first. Uh, 15 days of January in their business than in the previous six months. So that's not, 
you know, that's not an end of cycle phenomenon, right? It's just starting yes. now. All right, let, 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 let's go to something a little off the topic of Bitcoin digital assets, but more again on the macro side. Sure. Uh, there, there is fears of, of what's going on in China. There's, uh, you know, potential property revaluations going on. I don't want to say collapse because I don't know enough about it, but it does feel like there's revaluations happening in China. I think you and I would both look at the commercial real estate market, particularly in the urban centers, and say that they seem to also be at risk. There's high vacancy rates. Um, could this pull the U.S. into a recession and cause the Fed to move more quickly? Certainly not seven cuts this year, uh, but could they be forced to reverse so, as a result of uh, yeah. of this stuff? So I think it's already happened. Like the fact that the Hong Kong market is pricing is priced at a 19-year low. It's happened, and the U.S. is where it is. Um, I think China has caused a lot of their own problems. Um, you know, the the leadership there has come down very aggressively against some of the capitalist leaders. Uh, I think a lot of their problems have, have come because foreign capital has been leaving now for several years. Uh, I think really since the moment Jack Ma disappeared for a few days or a few weeks or whatever it was, that was really the moment where I think large foreign investors started to say, wow, you know, Alibaba is a fantastic company. Why would the leadership of any country do anything to dissuade that company from uh, being able to grow and prosper? And that was the moment, I think, where people like the switch flipped. So I think it's a little bit of a liquidity shortage there. Um, you know, look, it's a closed economy. They can cut interest rates, they can add liquidity. Uh, the currency doesn't really trade internationally. Um, it's more or less pegged to the dollar and the euro. So there aren't necessarily any repercussions for them in debasing the currency, right, by doing excess spending. So I figure that's what they'll probably end up doing again. Um, at some point, you know, eventually maybe they have to pay some piper. Um, but I think the way that they they get penalized is you have capital flight. Um, I don't really see it hurting the U.S. It's already happened, and the U.S. is still doing just fine. And um, I just don't, you know, those linkages, those macro linkages that I think used to be really tight in the 90s and 2000s, for instance, I just think are not as tight anymore. Um Partly because tech, I think tech is doing something underneath the surface to productivity and efficiency that is very hard to measure from a macro uh, perspective, macro basis. Like I, I know we have productivity measurements that come out, the Fed releases or there's official data, but um, I, I just, I think it's, it's very hard data to capture. Um, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you chiming in on these things because this, this is stuff that viewers and listeners uh, ask us about. Uh, and since you were so popular last time, uh, <laughs> I wanted to bring you back. Dan. Let's go to uh, let's go to questions. I got I got a ton of questions for you. Uh, this is uh, from Ken from Oklahoma. V. 
email. How do I play this upcoming bull market with crypto? Would it be the ETFs or would it be individual stocks? What say you? Yeah, I, I get asked this question quite a lot. I think um, there's only really one stock uh, public company, and that's Coinbase. And actually, Galaxy as well is more volatile. It's a smaller company. But if you want to have a proxy bet on the space, like the entire digital asset ecosystem, I think Coinbase is turning into a crypto blockchain web three digital asset conglomerate. And they've launched, you know, they've, they've rolled out their base token. They've diversified their revenue from trading revenues, which people two years ago thought Coinbase couldn't do it. And actually they, they have been doing it. The leadership there has been very effective, very focused. Um, you know, if you wanted to just own Coinbase and walk away, I think, you know, five years from now, you'd be very happy. Probably even, you know, even during this next bull phase, uh, I think it certainly has the ability to double in price from here. Um, you know, I think that's pretty much, that's an easy call over the next sort of 18 to 36 months. The ETFs are also easy. Um, again, if that's what you're looking for, I think a, a, an investment in Bitcoin and ETH, you can go to Coinbase and, and open, get a wallet and buy Bitcoin and ETH through that. A way, um, which is, I mean, I would suggest that because it'll give you more visibility into some of the different developments going on in the space. By a Bitcoin ETF, that's it. It's in your stock account. You're not really learning anything. You're not, uh, you're not like being opened up to some of the new innovations in the space. Whereas on Coinbase, if you have a wallet. You're also, you know, you, you get opened up to all sorts of information and other cryptocurrencies. I'm not suggesting you need to play other cryptocurrencies. I, I think Bitcoin and ETH are the core assets for this world right now. And everything else is essentially a venture project. Maybe Solana is sort of moving now to a place where it's in between venture and uh, established uh, asset. I say established just that it's reached net network effect and Metcalf's law has kicked in. Um, in terms of how one buys it, I would just, as I said before, I would buy a little bit, you know, every month and, uh, you know, do that for, you know, a year. That's how I would play it. Well, yeah. one of the, you know, not, not to talk our book at Skybridge, but there is a, uh, there's an ETF that we developed with First Trust. It's called the First Trust Skybridge Crypto Industry and digital economy ETF, the symbol CRPT. And uh, Dan, yeah. just a couple of holdings in there. Coinbase is a quarter of the holdings, but so is things like MicroStrategy and Marathon Digital. So, yeah. so you know, Galaxy's in there, HUD 8's in there. Uh, it's just another idea for people. I like that. But again, Anthony, not I, think it's a, I think it's a good idea. I, it's a little Bitcoin miner heavy, probably, but it gives you nice diversification. Um, I mean, that's a nice CTF. I've, I've got to write it down. What did you say? What did you say? Yeah, it's, uh, so it's CRPT. Okay, CRPT. It's just a way to, you know, you know, we, we're getting some institutional demand in there as well. Just a way for people to tap into those markets. Um, let's go to the next question, but that's a great one. The new evergreen venture funds that aggregate hundreds of startups together seem like the next generation mortgage-backed securities yeah. that will form a bubble and eventually burst. This is from David via email. 
And so it's an interesting question. I don't know how familiar you are with those. I'm happy to chime in here as well. But you do, you are getting these venture funds now that are creating closed-end funds and they're aggregating small startups. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they'll make distributions as those star startups mature, potentially IPO or sell and so forth. Mm. What, are, what are your thoughts on early-stage venture, Dan? Well, I always say about venture, um, you know, the style is you make 10 investments, nine to go to zero, and hopefully one ends up being Google. Um, I think it's just, it should be some small percent of your portfolio. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I'm coming from the macro background. I like to make bets on sectors, uh, bigger bets that are going to move less that you can control the risk on a little bit. Um, so I think a hundred year, uh, uh, how long are these funds? You say hundred startups together. Well, yeah, they're closed yeah, end. They're close, so they, you, ten year, ten, yeah, they're ten closed year life, end. Yeah. yeah. They have, they have typically 10 year life, but they're also, you know, they, they get listed and then they can be traded out of, but you and I both know that these things have a tendency to trade at discounts to what their actual underlying holdings are. And so I think, David, you know, for me, I would stay away from this only because it's very hard to understand. And I think your hunch is right. You know, you could get a bubble run going there and you may not even be able to get out of these things in terms of where the liquidity is. And so um, let's go to the next question. So this is an uh, interesting question. And this fits into the GBI narrative. Yeah. How is bullion delivered? And what is the charge for the delivery? So um, I'm not up to date like as of today, but uh, actually a lot of bullion is actually just sent uh, in the mail. I mean, FedEx, uh, believe it or not. I mean, smaller amounts. Um, I, I'm not sure on much larger amounts. I know that GBI does deliver to, I think, over 100 different countries. And so... Uh, and I think the delivery also, I think, tends to be insured as well. Um, it's a very small extra charge for for delivery. So I, I don't want to say it's de minimis, um, but I, I think you, it's well, very we'll, easy. Yeah. What we'll do is we'll post the link. Uh, you can contact our partner at Hard Asset Alliance, and we'll post that link below. Um, and they'll calculate the shipping costs based on value and weight and, of course, the insurance. Uh, but the good news is exactly what Dan is saying. Uh, they said that you want bullion delivered. It can be delivered safely and quickly. And most importantly, it's it's insured. So, um, you know, excited, excited to get that question, actually. Let's go to the next. What is the best, most secure crypto cold storage wallet in your opinion or experience or knowledge this is john from arizona i'm going to flip it over to you dan because yeah. I, I i'll just you know very candidly i have all of my uh my bitcoin at nidig coinbase and fidelity it's blended between those those three yeah and of course i do own some blackrock I, I own the blackrock etf yeah for, for the bitcoin for, ETF. for pure cold storage i mean i would put it on a ledger um, you know, I, I am biased. We have a large investment there and I do sit on the board, but 75% of the entire hardware wallet, cold storage wallet market, uh, 
is dominated by Ledger. There's another Tezos, of course, is the other 20% or so. Um, but I think Ledger has made tremendous strides. They're going to be coming out with a new, um, <clears throat> a new hardware wallet soon that is going to be a next generation wallet. So I would, I would look out for that. I think it's um, Anthony for you know the the uh, cold storage, let's say Coinbase, if you want to just call it not on the actual exchange. I think that's more for institutional sized clients. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the the limits are, but you can buy a ledger and you can have a hundred dollars of Bitcoin on there and put it in your pocket and it's yours and it's secure. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's why we got you on the show, Daniel. That's why we got you on the show. Let's flip over to another question. Oh, it's a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna cede this to you. Are you, you sure? Anthony? Probably have a, This is this yeah. Is, you probably have a different view. Yeah. No, you have a different view than me. Right. That's what makes the show fun. Yeah. It's better for crypto, Trump provided. So I just want to point out to everybody, Trump has said repeatedly that he hates Bitcoin, but go ahead. I know. Go ahead, I Mr. Know. Dapier. But, you know, Trump is the first president in my lifetime that I can remember who even knew where the S&P 500 was. And, you know, as much as I think we probably all you know, during his uh, presidency could have used a break from the constant updates on Twitter, etc. Um, he was very sensitive to the markets, you know, on a great day, he would, you know, come out and say, hey, we've had a great day, the market's up, what am I doing well? You know, on a bad day, he would look around and try to figure out what was going on. He's very market, he's a capitalist. Um, I don't want to, you know, get into a debate about all the other stuff that's in the press and bad, good, bad, whatever it is. Um, so I think he's generally pro-business and pro-growth and, you know, wants America to be a leader in innovation and technology. I think I could say that. Biden is just not present. Um, I mean, he, he really is too old for the office. And I don't think he even knows that. I mean, he, he doesn't know anything about Bitcoin or Ether, digital assets. I mean, I'm sure he has people on his team who do, um, but I just think they're checked out, unfortunately. So there's no there's no discussion on this one for me, Anthony. I don't know what your 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 response. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? You, you you know what? Because you're the guest on the show. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that anybody that's listening to this show knows my opinion. I'm going to leave it there, right. Daniel. How's that? I'm going to leave it there. Let's go to the next question. All right. All right. It's a big one. Spring training starts this week. <laughs> Who do you pick to win it all? And why won't it be the Mets or the Red Sox? This is Mike from Connecticut, Dave from Boston. They're in our control room, these two losers. <laughs> they actually think their team has hope. At least I'm smart enough to know, uh, in the immortal words of Nelson Figueroa, the Mets are obviously playing on a Native American burial ground. So they get a shaman out there to like spray it with holy water or something like that. You know, Kodai Senga, they shut down Kodai Senga this week due to a bad MRI on his elbow. So so I know the Mets are not going to make it. These two hopeless, sad sacks, Tapiero, they think... That possibly the Red Sox could make it. And what say you? Well, I've always I've been a Yankee fan for a long time, but with the coach that we have now, 
I've been complaining about him for three, four, five years. They still don't want to replace him. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen for the Yankees, unfortunately. Uh, even the loaded. What about the Red Sox? Which so, you I mean, the Red, the Red Sox, Sox, I just, you know, I'm such an anti-Red Sox person. I, I can never, I don't think about them. I certainly don't ever think about them winning. Um, the Mets are a little different. I mean, of course, I worked for Steve Cohen for about 10 years, and I would not underestimate Steve's ability to build a winning lineup. Um, he's hey, Matt, tremendous no, I, longevity. I agree with that, but I, I want Steve to hire some medicine man to go out there and fix the field, though. Well, just text Because I'm him. watching balls drop. I'm watching unexpected injuries. I mean, yeah. you know, we got to do something that, change the mojo yeah know? but i love steve full disclosure i'm you know our fund has a big investment in point point seventy two. yeah i i think he you know he's a different type of owner uh people thought he was just going to come in and spend big he's changed uh his focus a little bit again i have no specific knowledge here and i'm i'm just a, an outsider watching it but I, I did sit next to him on the trading floor for probably about five years in total, if I think about it. So um, I think he figures out a way to win. And that's what I would not, in the next three years, I wouldn't count them at least making it to the series. And I know that's a bold call. Well, let me tell you, it's music. a medicine man out there. Let me tell you, it's music to my ears. Yeah. You know that. I'm, I'm living for the day. I just... I, I have low expectations now, Dan. I just want the Mets to get there. Want the <laughs> Mets to get there before I die. That's it. That's all I want. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I I've got one of our producers saying the over under on the Mets is eighty two and a half. Over under on the Sox is seventy nine point five. Neither go very far. It's going to be a long summer. We'll have to see. But you're terrific to join us again. And Anytime. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for joining us, listeners from all over the world, uh, with Dan Tapiero today. This I speak up with Anthony Scaramucci. Have an awesome weekend. Please send us feedback, comment on the show, send us your ideas, email us your questions. Uh, we're adaptable. Uh, we're making this show for you. Uh, and the deep dive discussions, we're all learning something. Very grateful to have your participation. Have a great weekend. Thank you.